The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. Anyone who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who prefers son or daughter to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow in my footsteps is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and those who welcome me welcome the one who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will have a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a holy man because he is a holy man will have a holy man's reward. If anyone gives so much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, then I tell you solemnly, he will most certainly not lose his reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I wish there was a way of holding the Sunday Gospels in our minds from Sunday after Sunday to deepen our sense of these episodes. They're passing episodes in a way, but just like any good series, they connect in deep and profound ways. This is one of the reasons why some years ago when I became a deacon in Emerald, I started a podcast called Suspended in the Word. I was attempting to try and draw this unbroken thread through the Sunday readings, not just the Gospels, but all of the readings, and then to enrich and to refer back in a way that I think if we're devoted to our most beloved series, um, we don't watch episodes in isolation, but everything lends to everything else, isn't it? And you get to an episode and you think, oh yeah, he'd never do that because back in season three and back in this and that, you're drawing threads across the entire, the entire narrative. Well, this, in a sense, is what the lectionary is attempting to do for us as we sink deeper and deeper into this profound and amazingly mysterious story, the theodrama, the story of Christ and us and God. I've said this before, but the lectionary is not a Bible study, and the Mass itself is not Bible study, even though we're hearing from Scriptures. This isn't the same as going to the library and doing a lesson on, you know, Second Kings, which we heard from today. Uh, instead, we are we're being invited into this deep, deep narrative, and the lectionary connects things in ways that we'd never think of. If we were here to do Bible study, then on January 1st, we'd start in the first chapter of Genesis, and then at the end of the year, we'd finish in the last chapter of Revelation. That's not what we do. We wouldn't see the connections. Look at this reading here where Jesus says, if you give a, a prophet, a prophet's, uh, treat them like a prophet, treat a holy man like a holy man, did the people know he was talking about Elisha? I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they were immersed enough in this story to make that connection. But I tell you, if I didn't see those readings together, I wouldn't make that connection. I wouldn't have a clue where to look. So that's what we're doing. Where are we then in this series? Where are we in these episodes these days? A few Sundays ago, Jesus called the Twelve to himself. Remember that epic scene. Simon, Peter, uh, Andrew, his brother, their cousins, James and John, even Judas, all of them, Bartholomew, etc., the tax collector, uh, Matthew, and so on. He calls them, and now over these Sundays, last Sunday and this Sunday, he's been teaching that tight little cohort. Both last Sunday and this Sunday started with the words, Jesus instructed the twelve as follows, and he's teaching them. 
He's teaching them as an intimate group who he will then send out as apostles. We still have the successors of the apostles with us, this sort of intimate group. They're no better than the rest of us. We're all the same sinners on the same boat. But in a sense, Jesus knows we need, let's say, well, shepherds, frankly, because we are sheep. And as Augustine famously said, for you, I'm a shepherd, but with you, I'm a sheep. Anyway, Jesus has this privileged crew with him, and he's teaching them in a deeply intimate and profound way. In the weeks that follow, we're going to see the crowd gathered around them, and Jesus is going to start teaching them in parables. These might be some of our most favorite episodes, the parables. Just close your eyes for a second and remember some of these stories. Imagine a sower has gone out to sow. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But the enemy came by night and sowed darnel there too. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Or again, it's like, um, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. Or it's like a merchant looking for pearls. Or it's like a dragnet cast into the sea that pulls in all sorts of fish. These are some beautiful images, aren't they, that Jesus is painting in our minds. Images of the kingdom of God. Parables, mysterious stories, but, but stories nonetheless, things that we're meant to hold in our mind. We've heard these stories. Maybe we know some of them very well. Maybe we're very familiar and fond of them. But in a, in a sense, they're nothing like each other, are they? You hold them next to each other. They're all completely different, which means we shouldn't focus too much on the story itself, but rather we should look through these parables to the one who's speaking to us, to the Lord himself, meet his gaze. He's teaching not just some crowd 2,000 years ago. He's teaching us. We are the crowd gathered. It's so often that Jesus' words are pinched and taken out of context and twisted completely out of shape. For us, we come not to misquote and mangle Jesus in our own image. We come to be met by his loving gaze. Uh, hence, I think, why now, at the outset of this uh, teaching that he's about to give, he puts all the attention very, very uncomfortably on himself, radically. Listen to these words again. Anyone who prefers father or mother or son or daughter or even their own life is not worthy of me. It's impossible to not feel uncomfortable with these words, isn't it? I mean, any, any good family is knit together by love. Does Jesus not like that love? Obviously not. I mean, obvious, obviously that's not the case. Sorry, that, didn't, that wasn't clear. Obviously that's not the case. But, but then what is he saying? Um, you know, one of the commandments is honor thy mother and father. It's not the first commandment though. The first is directed immediately to the Lord himself. So there's, there's an ordering that is needed here. It's easy for things to slip out of order, and then as good as they are or as good as they were, they start to run off track periodically, further and further and further, from the Lord who's called us. So Jesus is purposely speaking with, let's say, provocative language. He's touching the nerve as he does. He does this uh, because he knows how to sort of get us out of our ruts. This is jarring language. As I heard it, I was thinking there's only a few places where I've heard this language used and it works. Because if anyone else talks to us like this, we say, I'm not worthy of you, you nick off, fine. You know, treat me that way if you want. It doesn't work with anyone else. 
But Jesus can say it. Where does it work? Um, this might shock us. I've been getting some strange looks as I've been saying this to the communities. But I've heard this kind of language in gangs. Think of gang culture, gang hierarchy and how it works. The strange, radical, almost nonsensical devotion and, and loyalty that's, ne that's necessary for gangs to stand as gangs. Hopefully, and maybe none of us have had too much to do with gangs. I'm <laughs> a pretty tame crowd over here. But where gangs are, they thrive. You know, they're, they're, like, they're like Donald sown in the field, a resilient weed that is somehow gathered um, some endurance, and, and then there it is, a problem for the rest of the society. Think about the, the, the hallmarks of gangs, right? Gaining gang membership is usually pretty hard. Uh, you have to show that you are loyal to the cause. Um, you have to show that you put the gang, and especially the gang's leader, at the very height of your priorities, even over and above your own flesh and blood. Sometimes gang membership involves doing something very heinous to a loved one, and that's proof to the gang, okay, fine, this person's serious. Uh, let's bring them slowly into the inner circles. Very sinister, isn't it? Um, it's, it's abusive. Uh, what else? Well, in gangs, I suppose, people find a sense of belonging, which means they must be pretty wanting for belonging if that's where they, they find it. But they're wanting for a place to belong, for a place of fellowship, camaraderie, security, which then becomes power. It's the wrong kind of power. It's, it's abusive, oppressive, fearful power. But it's power nonetheless. Um, and there's an element of mystique about the gang. Who is the kingpin anyway? You know, we meet all the little underlings running around on the ground, and then they've got their higher-ups, and they've got their higher-ups. Who's the invisible kingpin who's in some palace somewhere? You know what I mean? This is usually how gangs work. Some invisible, some person is, is pulling the strings at the top. They're untouchable. They're flanked by any number of layers of, um, of barricade and... and um, and protection. There's nothing heroic about being at the top of a gang, really, when you think about it. Now, this might seem like a silly analogy to draw because look at us here. We're, we're not, um, we don't resemble a gang in any way, I hope, and I don't think we do. But I don't think it's too silly to draw this comparison, even just for a moment. And I don't think that gangs themselves would see it as a strange comparison. In fact, look at, look at any gang. And look at the kind of marks they've got on their bodies. <laughs> they're, they're garnered with crosses and rosary beads and St. Michael on their back. And um, I think they realize, and I don't think that a gang who is versed in Scripture would hesitate to use Scripture itself to validate what they're doing. Oh, yeah, there's no love greater than laying down your life for your brother. Um, unless you deny, etc., etc., even this gospel right here, you're not worthy of me. Something, something terrible has taken place that's warped the meaning of what Jesus is saying there. And nonetheless, maybe they've seen something that we haven't seen. Maybe the radicality of the gang is, is a strange, uh, let's say, challenging invitation to us to the true radicality of church. What is our loyalty like to Jesus, to each other, to the least among us, to the outcast, to the, to the social um, recluse? Etc., etc. Who's allowed in this gang that we call the church? Who do we bring to the, to the closest, most secure place 
especially maybe when they need to be kept invisibly in our care. All of these things, I think, are worth pondering for a moment. This is some of the devotion that Jesus is asking us to experience in our own lives and, and with him. Is Jesus a mob boss? Of course not. Because a mob boss is not all loving, all wise. Uh, a mob boss would not get down on his haunches to wash his disciples' feet, etc., etc. But Jesus, by contrast, who says these jarring words, look at the way he exemplifies, if you like, his worthiness. He is all loving. He is all wise, all patient, all merciful. He does search out and seek and save the lost. He does get down and wash the dirtiest, most um, uh, un <laughs> unattractive of feet. Uh, and he does lay down his own life in preference for all things because he sees us as worthy. This is the paradox as usual in scriptures. That Jesus never calls us to anything that he doesn't first exercise and show to us. He says, take up your cross and follow me because he's done exactly that. He says love in this radical way because he chooses to love us in this terrifyingly radical way. Jesus is um, the sign of our worthiness, if you like. He's worthy of such devotion from us because he sees us with that worth. I want to finish with that last line in the middle of the gospel there because by doing this, Jesus shows us what it is to live the worthy life. He shows us what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. It's not a question of zeal. It's a question of who we hold and love the most. The church is the church, and the church is not a gang, insofar as we resemble Christ, who says these words, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow in my footsteps in other words, repeat in his or her own life the radical, radical love of Jesus. Anyone who does not replicate that image, if you like, is not worthy of me. Insofar as we replicate that image individually and as church, we move as far away from the gang as possible and we move into the image that saves the world, Christ and him crucified.